0: Welcome to the Harrison Faith Church Podcast. You're about to hear another inspirational message from Pastor Brian Herring. It's our prayer. This message is an encouragement and blessing to your life. Amen. Well, we're glad you're here today, and I hope you're ready because we've got a lot to get through today. I know that just, what you just heard is, dear God, he's going to preach an hour. That's not my plan. Uh, But we started a series last week uh, going through the book of Timothy, 1st and 2nd Timothy, and so the plan is to go through all summer long. And last week we talked on chapter 1 about being faithful and how God is a faithful God, but He wants us to be faithful. And we need to be faithful in how we respond to Him. Uh, Today we're going to talk about the power of praying, and then right at the end I'm going to spend a little bit of time Addressing some chap- some verses at the end of the bo- at the end of this chapter, uh, dealing with women, and so uh, you don't want to leave early. <laughs> but we're going to do this, so go ahead and turn your Bibles to First Timothy chapter two, and uh, I want to share those few things with you as you get there. Um, by the way, I'm excited. I think God is. Uh, has great things in store for this church. And I think part of us is understanding how to walk through scriptures. And the truth is, is that I know we could take a little more time and we could really go verse by verse a lot slower, um, but I'm afraid that sometimes we get a little bored because we're, we're quick that way. So rather than do uh, that way, we're going to try to cover whole chapters each week. But who knows how that'll turn out. Um, diving into this first verse, we're going to get here. And it says, I urge you, first of all, to pray for all people. Why? Because there's power in prayer, right? Ask God to help them and intercede for them on their behalf. Intercession is uh, to stand in the place for someone else. It's, it's a, a praying for a family, a neighbor, a friend. That's what intercession is. Sometimes we forget the, the, that there's power in that intercessory prayer. I'm standing in the gap for someone else who can't stand for themselves. And so he says interceding on their behalf. And then he says, and give thanks for them listen don't forget to give thanks at the end of your prayer I think we forget to thank God for what he's done after we've asked God to do all this stuff we put a great list we forget to thank him for all that he's already done in fact I think all prayers should end with thanksgiving right should don't, don't you like it when people ask you for something but they begin to at least thank you for things that you have already done for them I think we all like that then he, so, so here's what I want us to understand if you're taking notes you can write this down our prayer makes all the difference. When you're praying, in fact, we had people praying this morning. We had people come up to the front for prayer. We had people praying on the side for special needs over here. We have prayer. Prayer is, makes a big difference. Why is it that so, so many times at the end, we forget that prayer makes a big difference? I mean, I don't think we agree to that. But the truth is, it's the last thing we do many times versus the first thing. So I think we don't think, I think we feel like we've run out of options, let's throw this in the mix. We're more like the woman with the issue of blood who said she's tried many physicians and none of that work, but she heard about Jesus, so eh, why not try that? I think we get to this place where we forget and we think prayer is something you throw in the mix rather than prayer is something we do. In fact, prayer, people, being people of prayer is a prayer is a lifestyle. It's who we are. It's walking out prayer in our daily lives. In fact, Philippians 4, 6 says, don't worry about anything. Instead, pray about everything. Tell God what you need and thank him for all that he's done. The very first thing we do, pray about everything. We begin our day with prayer. We begin our moment with prayer. We we, we begin to go places. If you don't know what to do, what job to take, what to do, where to live, anything, what do you start with? Prayer. In fact, one of the first things I think God always asks us is, have you prayed about it yet? Have you talked to me about this? Or did you make this decision on your own? See, so here's the problem. A lot of times we make decisions and then ask God to fix it afterwards. Then we pray, right? We, we, we go and make these decisions. It all falls apart. Our financial deal falls apart. Our job falls apart. And we, we say, God, why aren't you in this? Why aren't you helping me? And he's like, now you, now you come to me? Why did you come to me before you got to this mess? Because I don't know about you, but I'd much rather someone tell me the direction to go before I go the wrong way. I'd rather not be lost in the beginning rather than have to fix being lost later. I don't want someone to have to give me GPS coordinates on how to get around. Only half the crowd in here is probably old enough to remember having to stop by and ask for directions. It's the most frustrating thing in the world. The reason why, just so you women who are our age and older understand why we never want to stop for direction is because they don't know how to explain it correctly. <laughs> and then when we get lost again, we have to hear about it. What didn't you hear? What did they tell you to turn? I got it, I got it, I got it. But that's the problem, isn't it? We don't like taking directions. We don't like doing all that stuff. And so that's why we like GPS. So we want God just to be a GPS. Always just lead without having to be asked. We want him to throw up speed limit signs that tell us how to slow down, when to speed up. We'd really like him to tell us where the cops are so we can know when to speed up and when to slow down. But, <laughs> you know, for being honest. Here's the problem the enemy will always tell you that your prayers don't make a difference. Don't bother praying. Why pray? It's not going to change anything. Don't bother praying. And, but the problem is, is in John chapter 8, verse 44, the second part, it says, He has always hated the truth. Talking about the devil, talking about the enemy. Because there is no truth in him. And when he lies, he is consistent with his character. For he is a liar and the father of lies. Here's what you need to know. The opposite, I know this is plain, this is just so simple. The opposite of a lie is truth. So if he's the father of lies, then how we overcome that? In order to reveal the truth, you have to turn the lie around. In order to reveal truth, you have to turn the lie around. So when the devil says you shouldn't pray, the truth is I should pray. When the devil says what, God, what you think God called you to do, he didn't really call you to do that. In fact, you're just making this all up on your own. Then the truth is God did call you. He's got a purpose for your life. And if you keep walking it out, you'll see it fulfilled. If he tells you that, listen, there's no hope, your health is going to get worse, that there's nothing better beyond this, you're just going to get, it's just going to get harder and harder, then the truth is you're going to get healed, you're going to get better. If he says your marriage is going to get worse and worse and worse and all you hear is, is, is that he's doing this and she's doing that and you're doing that, then the, then the truth is when it turns around when you put it in God's hands is that God is going to take care of everything. When you don't know what to do with your kids and you think, God, they're never going to do anything right. They're gonna, you're just so frustrated. The truth is God's got his hand on them. You prayed for them since they were little. You dedicated them to the Lord. You just got to keep praying. Yeah, they're going to mess up. Yeah, they're going to make mistakes, but don't give up. Don't get frustrated. It's all going to work out. Just keep pressing in. So many times we write our prayer off midway in the season. And we don't realize that the story's not finished yet, that God's still working in the process. In fact, some of us in this room have had to wait years and years and years before we saw the fruit of our prayers. And so we look back at people younger than us, and they get frustrated after a year or two praying, and they're like, I've been praying for years! And you're like, just hang in there. And they don't understand it. Why? Because they're so frustrated. Because they've been praying and praying and praying, but they don't realize you had to pray 15, 20 years before you saw a change and result. James 5, 16 says, confess your sins to each other. Pray for each other so that you will be healed. The earnest prayers of a righteous person has great power and produces wonderful results. The prayers, the earnest prayers of a righteous person, the Amplified Version says this, the earnest, heartfelt, continued prayer of a righteous man makes tremendous power available, dynamic in its working. See, prayer is a lifestyle, not an event. Prayer is a lifestyle that we live. It's who we are. It's when we begin to walk through this idea that we're supposed to be a people of prayer, that everything we do, we walk out through prayer. Some of us in here, we struggle with just remembering to pray over our meals, right? Right? that's not a lifestyle of prayer. Prayer is, is I remember when I wake up in the morning, it's the first thing I do. It's the last thing when I go to bed. It's in those moments when I'm driving down the road when I have time just to blast the stereo I take time and I pause out and I said I'm going to pray over my kids. I'm going to pray over my spouse today. I'm going to take time and I'm going to pray. Pr- being a people of prayers before I walk into the meeting, I'm praying God for wisdom that he would direct my paths and what to do and what to make the right choices and, to, and how to do it. Praying over my family before they go off to college, before they go off to school. It's being a people People of prayer, that no matter what we do, we put it in God's hands and we walk it out through prayer. That's what being a prayer lifestyle is. First Thessalonians 5:17 says, Never stop praying. Pray without ceasing. Ephesians 5:18 says, Pray in the Spirit at all times, on every occasion, stay alert, be persistent in your prayers for all believers everywhere. There's a pastor by the name of Gerald Brooks, and he says, I never pray for t- longer than 10 minutes, but I never go longer than 10 minutes without praying. I don't know if you should pray longer than 10 minutes or not. depends on the, the situation, I guess. But I love the idea that he says, but I never go longer than 10 minutes without praying. I'm always in that frame of mind. I'm always processing. I'm always thinking, what should I do? What should I pray about? Verse 2 goes on in 1 Timothy chapter 2. And it says, pray this way for kings for all those in authority, so that we can live peaceful and quiet lives marked by godliness and dignity. Prayer was never meant to be political. Did you know that God is neither Republican or Democrat, Green Party, Tea Party? He's not. He never has been. So therefore, as people of God, we pray, no matter who's in the the, the highest office of the land, We pray for whoever is our governor. We pray for whoever is our mayor. We pray for them, and we want to because we want God to guide them and direct them. We want God to appeal their hearts. We forget so many times that if God can change Pharaoh's heart, who believed himself to be a God, what could God do in a nation like ours if we as a people of prayer prayed for those in authority over us? What could he do with our president? Listen, I don't... Uh, it, it is, it's amazing how quickly we, we, we forget that we tell people that if you, you, know, you, you talk bad about our president when our president's in office, then you're wishing our country bad and I don't wish that. Well, if it's not your president in office, you still pray that way. Because why? We don't want our country to fall. We want God to bless our country. We want God to bless us. So we pray. We pray if, if President Trump is in office, we pray if Joe Biden's in office, we pray for the next president to come. Why? Because we are a people of prayer and we believe in it. It's who we are. So prayer was never meant to be political. We are commanded to pray for our leaders, our presidents, all those in authority, regardless of our political uh, situation. 1 Timothy chapter 2, verse 3, 4, it says, this is good and pleasing to God our, sa- our Savior, who wants everyone to be saved and to understand the truth. God's desire is that what? Everyone would be saved. He doesn't want anybody to perish without salvation. So we're praying for everybody. That person who cut you off on the way to church this morning, you're praying for them. That person when you were running 15 minutes late to work, they got in front of you and they decided to go even slower than the speed limit, you're praying for them. Just as much as you pray for your kids who frustrate you, your spouse, your boss, God's not willing that any would perish, but that all would come to redemption, to salvation. Second Peter chapter 3 verse 9, the second part says, he does not want anyone to be destroyed, he wants everyone to repent. 1 Timothy chapter 2 verse 5, it goes on, it says, for there is one God and one mediator who can reconcile God and humanity The man Christ Jesus. He gave his life to purchase freedom for everyone. This is the message God gave to the world at just the right time. Listen, we have direct access to God through Jesus Christ, our high priest. When we pray to him, we touch the Father. It's amazing. The reason we have access to God is because of the work Jesus did on the cross. Jesus paid the ransom for you and for I so that we could have direct access. John 16, 23 says, at that time, you won't need to ask me for anything. I tell you the truth, you will ask the Father directly and he will grant you your request because why? You use my name. We have access through the name of Jesus Christ. That awesome? There's something about a power in the name. There's power in the name. When you walk in and say, say listen, I'm here by the authority of Jesus Christ, it's not your authority. It's, it, it's, it's like having that awesome, all-sacred, holy of holy hall pass you get in school. <laughs> you go, where are you going? My teacher sent me. I can go anywhere I want. I can go to the bathroom. I can go outside you can't stop me why I have a pass Now teachers got smarter since my day now they put exactly where you're going but back in my day you just got a pass and it was big and it was huge and you're like I'm good you just went anywhere you want it was great they'd say go clean the erasers and you would take an hour to go clean erasers why because you couldn't find it You were just walking. You were checking on your friends in class. What you doing? <laughs> I got a pass. <laughs> You're in class. You know, we acted absolutely stupid. Why? We didn't have no sense. <laughs> There's something about having the power, the access that's even greater when we have the power and the authority of the name of Jesus Christ. Do you know that when the enemy comes in like a flood, you can just say Jesus? When you don't know what else to pray and you're in the car and you're going down the road, what's that name we cry out when we throw on our brakes and we say, Jesus, when we see something about to happen right in front of us, we just cry out into the name of Jesus. There's power in the name of Jesus. You can't call out to my name. It's not going to do you any good. You can't call out to the president. It's not going to do you any good at that time either. But there is power in the wonder-working name of Jesus Christ. That when you, when you that demons flee. The Bible says that every knee and every uh, tongue will every knee will bow, every tongue confess that Jesus is Lord. There's power in the wonderful name of Jesus. When our kids were at home and they were little and they were ju- had the night lights still on and they were scared and they would call us in crying and they were afraid, we would begin to quote scripture to them, God is not giving you a spirit of fear but of power, love and a sound mind and then we would just begin to say, Jesus, Jesus, we just prayed Jesus over their room, we just prayed Jesus walking down the hall, we'd go to the living room and say, they're so scared I want them to sleep through the night, we just prayed Jesus, because why? It's the name that unlocked the door. It's the passcode that that everyone has access to if they call out to it. There's wonderful power in the name. When you pray, you pray to the Father in the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus, we come boldly before that throne of grace. Verse 7. And I have been chosen as a preacher and an apostle, a teacher to the Gentiles. This message about faith and truth. I am not exaggerating, just telling the truth. In every place of worship, I want men to pray with holy hands lifted up to God, free from anger and controversy. Men, you are to be leaders in worship. Isn't it amazing? We want to be leaders everywhere else, be leaders in worship. I don't know what it is about worship, the worship experience that causes women to come forth and men to pull back. But scripturally, men, you're to be leaders, be leading. Lead in worship. Lead your family. Let your kids say, I remember when my, my dad used to raise his hands in worship and used to cry out to the Lord. Let, let, let your spouse see you raise your hands and cry out in worship. Don't be afraid to worship. Be a leader. Show, show those young men in your family. Show your sons that it's okay to cry out to God and that you don't have to be ashamed and it doesn't have to be awkward. I'm convinced. That if we're going to see a powerful move of God again in our church, in our community, men are going to have to shake off that awkwardness, shake out of their shells, and begin to worship God and cry out aloud and say, God, you are God, and I don't care who sees me. In fact, I'm not ashamed of this gospel I'm not ashamed to lift up holy hands and cry out God you are God you're holy you're worthy to be praised I'm not afraid to lift my hands it's amazing we will do stupid stuff and watch stupid things and invite our friends over to watch us to, to watch with us but when it comes to worship we withdraw I want us to be leaders not just in the sanctuary but in our homes I don't want us to pass off the responsibility of prayer, but I want us to say, bow your head and let's pray and let me lead you. Let's go to bed and let's, don't just send moms into the rooms. Let's, let's go and spend some time and say, can I, let me pray with you before you go to bed. Let's spend some time before the first day. We had a tradition that no matter what, we would pray with our kids when we dropped them off or before we left them for school most of their, their life until they started driving and leaving them just out of the house of their own. But every year, even when they were seniors, on the first day of school, we'd gather together and we all prayed together. We let it. It was something about setting an example, setting a priority and setting a, a, a direction that we need to lead our families in. We're to lift our hands to God. Uh, you're to lift up your hands, be holy, holy hands. You are the temple of the Holy Spirit and you are to honor God with your bodies. That's what you are. As we talk about prayer, there is nothing more powerful than when a man stands up and wholeheartedly prays with everything within him. But there's also nothing more awkward for a man to break the stigma of himself in his mind to be able to do it. It's powerful because of the war, I think, that goes on in our mind when we do so. Because not everybody has that free spirit who says, I'm here! Most of us say, I'm here. present. Not everybody has to worship the same. I'm not even saying that. I remember the very first time I was a youth pastor in in Dallas, and I went to my very first Promise Keepers meeting, and I didn't know what to expect. Most of you didn't know either if you went to one. But I remember sitting there as a 1,000-plus men sang out and worshiped and cried out, and I looked around, and even growing up in a Pentecostal church, I thought, I am not used to this. Because I never saw that many men worshiping it with all they have, with wholeheartedly, of all denominations, praising God the way they did in that meeting. It was powerful. But as all things and all times, things change and things move on. And then we get frustrated uh, and we, we gripe that, that, that men need to lead more, but we don't want to take the responsibility. I, I think the problem is, just like a lot of people, we like the privilege, privilege of leading, but not the responsibility of leading. If we want to be leaders in the church, we lead in all aspects. I'm going to spend some time, and I'm going to slow down now on purpose. I left some time at the end, and I want to cover the next few verses that deal with women's role in the church. Now, I'm pausing in the middle of my message for a reason because I don't usually stop and teach like this. I just feel like it's necessary. Um, And I want you to know a few things. Number one, I want you to give me an open heart today because many of you, in fact, over half of you come from different denominations. Um, You weren't always raised as the assembly of God. You came here because a friend invited you. and So a lot of you were taught differently and taught different things. So I (laughs) want to, I can feel it. Everybody's getting nervous. What is he about to say? But I want to share with you about what I believe the scriptures say through study and what the assemblies of God believe about women serving in in, in ministry. And in in doing so, I want you to have that open heart, but I also want you to take good notes. And I want you to study that yourself. I don't want you to take it just because I said it. In fact, there's nothing that I say from up here that you should just receive and accept it on your own. You should go study. You you should study it out. You should say, yeah, he's right on point. or uh, Pastor, um, (laughs) you might want to go restudy that text, but that's okay. But I want to take a little time because more people have used the next few verses to discredit women serving in ministry than what the purpose of the scripture really was for. So we're going to talk about that. If you have questions afterwards, I'll be happy to answer. And just want you to also know this, after service, the Assemblies God put out a positional paper in Women in Ministry, and we put it on our information table. It'll be in the back when you leave. Feel free to grab one or ask for one. We'll be happy to give it to you. So 1 Timothy, chapter 2, beginning in verse 9. It says, And I want all, or I want women, to be modest in their appearance, and they should wear decent and appropriate clothing, not to draw attention to themselves by the way they fix their hair or wearing gold or pure uh, pearls or, or expensive clothes. For women who claim to be devoted to God should make themselves attractive by the good things they do. Here's the first thing. A woman's true beauty is inward, not outward. This is not so controversial, though, right here, this part. This is the easy part. I think all of us agree with that. That, that. that there's something about modest. Modest, not bland, mind you. To draw attention, not to yourself physically, but through what God is blessing you and what you do and who you are as a person and who God made you out to be. That's what God wants from you. And to be filled with beautiful wisdom. That's what God desires for you. Then he goes on, in verse 11. Women should learn quietly and submissively. I do not let women teach men or have authority over them. Let them listen quietly. So, first, let me read the the Passion translation, which is not a word for word, but it does have the purpose of the. Pandri- Passion translation is to really pull and get the heart of what the Greek was to say, and then I'll tell you what the study it says. Beginning in verse 9, again through the Passion translation. And that women would also pray with clean hearts, dressed appropriately and adorn themselves, or adorned modestly and sensibly, not fonding their wealth, but they should be recognized instead, of by, their beautiful, instead by their beautiful deeds of kindness, suitable as one who worships God. Let women who are new converts be willing to learn with all submission to their leaders and not speak out of turn. I don't advocate that a newly converted woman be the teacher in the church assuming the authority over the men, but to live in peace. Another scripture that kind of goes along with First Timothy is in First Corinthians. Chapter 14, verse 34 and 35, it says this. Women should be silent during the church meetings. It is not proper for them to speak. They should be submissive just as the law says. And if they have any questions, they should ask their husbands at home, for it is improper for women to speak in the church meetings. So, first of all, let me say this. Paul was not attempting to quench women. He was attempting to bring order to the church. Women did not know how to act in church because women weren't allowed into church beforehand. In fact, they weren't allowed to do anything. They were treated as property in many cases. At this point in history, women generally were uneducated. They weren't allowed to go to school and had previously not been uh, invited to public meetings. In fact, the New Testament Church was actually planting new ground when it when it started. For so it says this uh, that, that that when they started, the idea is that the law said that they couldn't go out in public without their face covered. Women could not own property, no citizenship, no role, no public speech. Very similar to the Muslims today. Women could not uh, initiate a divorce. They could not receive an inheritance. And women were considered the legal property of their fathers. And then at marriage, they were considered the property of their husbands. So what happened? What was Paul addressing? Men and women are most likely seated on different sides of the church. Men would be on one side, women would be on the other side, and women were interrupting, asking questions because they didn't understand what was being taught. So they were asking across the aisle, and <laughs> it was causing all this problems and confusing in the church. And so he was addressing this. Paul was trying to teach women how to behave in church and to wait till afterwards to ask questions rather than approach this in the middle of their meetings. The Ephesians we're also buying into the pagan belief that women had were special mediators of the true salvation of men and that they had this special kind of touch the special idea that that god would would be intuitive leading through them and instead of using god as our mediator women were the mediator to salvation. And so there was this pagan belief. Paul was correcting this false teaching that women had uh, some sacred connection to the divine uh, creator and divine knowledge that made them superior to men. And so he was telling them, uh, especially those who were coming out of that teaching that they were allowed to be a part of in pagan, uh, to, to not teach that, to be quiet. Female that claimed uh, superiority that were rooted in the teaching of this uh, pagan religion uh, gave life that man without, uh, that they could give salvation to man without any help from God. And so he instructs women to take the posture of learning rather than teaching. And to not talk about those things until they they could have a better understanding. The context of 1 Timothy suggests the best uh, translation of the Greek word, uh, which I'm not going to try to pronounce, in chapter 12. Basically, it should be like this. I permit I I do not permit women to teach or to act superior to men. The culture of that time, that's what was happening. When you put all the pieces together, Paul is telling Timothy to prohibit women from teaching or practicing the local heresy of that day and time. He wanted them to learn the truth of the gospel rather than uh, distort the mixed theology of the Greeks that was happening that day that changed the whole uh, idea of what happened in Genesis chapter 1 through chapter 3. Paul was also specifically concerned with what women were teaching confused um, who the real mediator was. And so he was coming down and, and, and trying to bring understanding. So women were displacing the man Jesus Christ uh, as the spiritual superior uh, of all things, and they, and they were assuming that role. So what do we learn? Let's talk about the equality and the spiritual gifts. In Acts chapter 1, beginning in verse 14 through 15, it says a group of 120 men and women were gathered on the promise of the Holy Spirit. And Jesus' mother, as well as some other women, were part of that. In Acts chapter 2, verse 4, it says, And everyone present was filled with the Holy Spirit and began speaking in other tongues as the Holy Spirit gave them that ability. It doesn't say just the men received. Everybody received. Everyone who was present. Verse, uh, Acts chapter 10, verse 34 through 35 says, Then Peter replied, I see very clearly that God shows no favoritism. In every nation, he accepts those who fear him and do what is right. He said the response to Cornelius, uh, a Gentile who got saved and was baptized with the Holy Spirit, Peter thought that was only for the Jews, that it was for everyone. Joel chapter 2, verse 28. Through 29 says, Then after doing all those things, I will pour out my spirit upon all people. Your sons and your daughters will prophesy. Your old men will dream dreams, and your young men will see visions. And in those days, I will pour out my spirit even on the servants of men and women alike. There's no separation, no distinction uh, between men and women receiving the gifts. Galatians chapter 3, verse 26 through 28 says, for you are all children of God through faith in Christ Jesus. And all who have been united with Christ in baptism have put on Christ like putting on new clothes. There is no longer Jew or Gentile, slave or free, male or female, for you all are one in Jesus Christ. And then there was equality in the church. We read in First Corinthians chapter 1. Verse 10, it says, I appeal to you, dear brothers and sisters, by all authority of the Lord Jesus Christ, to live in harmony with each other. Let there be no separation or division in the church, rather be of one mind, united in thought and purpose. When you come into this building, we're one. Paul gives women the right to pray, prophesy, publicly, and operating the gifts of the Spirit in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 5, when it says, And every woman who prays and prophesies with her head uncovered uh, dishonors her head. It is just though her head was shaved." He's not saying that they didn't prophesy. He said that they should be covered because that was the order, the law of the day. For the first time in public, women are being encouraged to speak out, to pray, to use their gifts. In fact, we know that in Jesus' ministry, Jesus Jesus valued women in his ministry on on a regular basis. Women were not allowed uh, in the temple, so Jesus took his teaching outside and taught so that both men and women could both uh, receive and hear the teaching. In the Old Testament, they would anoint a king by pouring oil over his head. In fact, we know that Samuel anointed David to be king of Israel by anointing his head with oil, but who anointed Jesus? It was women who anointed Jesus. John chapter 12, verse 3, it says, Then Mary took a 12-ounce jar of expensive perfume and made from the essence of nard, and she anointed Jesus' feet with it, wiping his feet with her hair. The house was filled with the fragrance. In Matthew chapter 26, verse 7, it says, While he was seating, a woman came with, with, a, beautiful, with a, a beautiful alabaster an expensive perfume and poured it out on his head. Jesus revealed himself to women after he was after he rose from the dead. In fact, women were the very first ones to uh, testify of the resurrection of Jesus. Women had a function in leader. We look through Scripture. We got to look through all Scripture to see this. As an overseer and church leader, we see First Timothy chapter three verse one that this is a trustworthy saying. And I appreciate you keeping up. You're doing great back there, Alex. Uh, if one aspires to be a church leader, he desires an honorable position. The Greek word actually never used man. It used anyone. If anyone, male or female, desires that, that, that position, uh, to be that, they, should, uh, he, they desire an honorable position. We see Lois and Eunice. Paul's words in T- to Timothy in 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 5, when he says, I have been reminded of your faith. Which first lived in your grandmother Lois and in your mother Eunice, and I am persuaded now lives in you. So, how did Timothy get that same thing? Because he was taught by his grandmother and his mother. Priscilla was a, Priscilla was a pastor in Acts chapter 18, verse 24 through 26. It says, Meanwhile, a Jew named Apollos, an eloquent speaker who knew those scriptures, well had arrived in Ephesus from Alexandria in Egypt, and he had been taught the way of the Lord, and he taught others about Jesus with enthusiastic spirit and with accuracy. However, he knew only about John's baptism. When Priscilla and Aquila heard him preaching boldly in the synagogues, they took him aside and explained what God, uh, the way of God, even more accurately In Romans chapter 16, verse 3 through 5, it says, give greetings to Priscilla and Aquila, my co-workers in the ministry of Christ Jesus. In fact, they once uh, risked their lives for me, and I am thankful to them, and so are the Gentiles uh, churches. Also give greetings to the church that meets in our home. We also know Phoebe was a, a deacon. In Romans chapter 16, verse 1, it says, I command you our sister Phoebe, who is a deacon in the church. Uh, Many translations actually uh, put the word servant, but when you look at the Greek, it says minister slash or or deacon, rather. Um, And then Paul's personal testimony in Romans chapter 16 talks more about this. His his testimony and experience in the life of the ministry is filled with women all through his life. Um, I could talk about Judah in Romans chapter 16, verse 7, or the twin sisters uh, uh, that work in Romans chapter 16, verse 12. So what does all this mean? What does all this mean to Harrison Faith Church? At Harrison Faith Church, we believe that women are highly valued and a gifted part of the body of Christ. We believe that women uh, will serve in the pastoral leadership as Pastor Taylor has, and as Pastor uh, Nicole has, and as Pastor Joan Mobley has, Um, and in leadership positions. At Harrison Faith Church, women are given a voice to preach, teach, and proclaim the good news, both to men and to women. And at Harrison Faith Church, women are encouraged to function in the five-fold ministry of the office of apostles, prophets, pastors, teachers, and evangelists. And so here at Harrison Faith Church, we release women into ministry so that's a lot that's a lot to process that's a lot of information and uh, here's what I want you to do I want you to spend some time this week Study for yourself. In fact, like I said, we have the positional papers with scriptures out in the foyer. You can pick it up. You also get it on the website of the Assemblies of God National Office. But I want you to kind of figure out for yourself and understand, what does God say about women serving in ministry? Some of my close friends in other denominations have, have preached the opposite, and I understand that, and I realize that. I believe there's a lot of foundation truth. I think in order for you to say one thing's not true, you'd really have to discount a lot of other places where women served in great leadership roles throughout the New Testament um, to find that true. Um, But the best thing I can tell you is to study for yourself. I think it's important. Why would I take a whole point out of service just to do this? I'll tell you, first of all, I didn't do it because of of a Me Too movement. I didn't do it because it's the popular thing of the day. In fact, the Assemblies of God have had this belief way before there was any of those things. Women have served in the role of pastor and as minister and in in some great offices uh, in the Assemblies of God for years. It has been well known that it's one of the teachings that we just believe in. And so it's not something that just came out today, but as we were addressing it, I I actually was talking to my wife. I said, I don't want to just make people mad for no reason. Hopefully it doesn't. It's it's the Word of God, Uh, although the Word of God does make people mad (laughs) quite often. Uh, But I didn't want to skip over it, too. I didn't want to just do a bump in the road and say, well, that was good. Moving on, we're going to go to the next one. I wanted to take time. But what I really want you to pull out of today's message is more than any of that is that we should bathe everything we do in prayer. If I was to turn it back around, I would say, yes, we need to understand the the role of women in ministry and the role that God has for them. But more than that, I want you to concentrate on the prayer. I believe God wants us to be a people of prayer. He wants to be a, just like last week, he wants us to be a faithful people, but he wants us to be a people who pray, who seek his face and are looking uh, for God to move in their families' lives, in their work life, and in their church. I believe that. So very simple. I know it's not the greatest altar call moment of the world, but let me pray over you guys. I'll turn it over to the worship team and they'll dismiss you. But I believe that God is moving But even more than that, I believe he's calling some people. Next week, when we just addressed chapter three, we're going to talk about the gold standard of leadership. The gold standard of leadership really is in the scripture. He spells out verse by verse, if you're going to be in, in, in leadership, what you should do and the character that you should have. So we're going to address that next week. You don't want to miss out. And then we got Father's Day. And I'm telling you, God is going to be doing something. But let God touch your heart. Father, I thank you for today. Lord, I know that this is a different message. It's more of a teaching. And, and Lord, uh, but Lord, I don't think it's without uh, purpose. In fact, I think there's a great purpose behind it. I think that we begin to understand and formulate what you are calling, what you're calling, us, especially during these days, in this hour, to step up and do the ministry you have called us to do. Lord, I'm believing that as we move forward as a church, God, Lord, great things are gonna happen and many men and women are gonna step up and answer the call that you have on their life. I believe it. God, Lord, things are changing and Lord, now more than ever, we need to function in the fivefold ministry of the church. Lord, I ask you, I turn it over to you, Lord. As we close out of this worship song, Lord, I just pray that you would challenge our hearts and help us to come back